I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Whenua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Oh, it's the end of another season, oh my goodness. Just flown by, as per usual. I know. It's been a good one, I think. Bit of a different change of pace. Yeah, definitely a different level, isn't it? Like, not as intense, (laughs) not as breakneck, not as high stakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wasn't transcribing the entire book. Like, it it was more, I was able to pick and choose more, which I quite liked. Because the problem with the authors that we've read, like uh, Rainbow Rowell and Steve Otter, is I basically just want to, like, copy-paste the book. Because I find so much in everything. (laughs) So it's nice to have more pedestrian prose, but these, like, really good breaks of, like, and this is an actual epiphany. And this is something to think about. Like, it was really nice. This is something to dig into more Mm -hmm. rather than, yeah, especially with, I think, the Stefada books it's kind of like oh everything is laddled with meeting like there's so much in here anyway it's been a a ride for sure um what sparked joy for you this week I went on a lovely walk with my friend Meredith and her pup Meg this morning which was really lovely well this was lunchtime really so we just went to the beach and Meg had a great time and there was a brief moment where we thought she'd disappeared because she just ran into the bush and then we didn't see her because she gets on the the trail of bunnies and then she gets really excited but no we we called her like Meredith called her and she came running back from so far away down the beach as she'd popped up at the other side of the plants (laughs) I guess and just like came racing towards us and she was so excited and so happy and she's just so sweet so sun sea and dogs what more could you want really that's pretty much peak perfect gen v day Mm. i think it was lovely um what sparked joy for you this week well today was soccer presentation day for my son and he had a very interrupted soccer season because he broke his leg like halfway through and so he hasn't actually gotten to play soccer since july all of the coaches are volunteers and his coach actually works at his school and so he had a trophy he had a trophy for my son that said you did soccer this year and and when he introduced him he said this is for someone who had a broken leg and couldn't play but still had the most cheerful attitude every day at school and we can't wait till next season and it was just really lovely a beautiful way to include someone who really otherwise would have absolutely played his heart out all season and just couldn't yeah not that he didn't want to definitely wasn't the case no and he was so Mm. worried about it too which i think was really cute so on the way there he was saying oh i I wonder if i've earned a trophy this year and it was like oh bobby (laughs) so it was really great that they gave him one yeah i'm aware of the comments about millennials and always getting participation trophies but sometimes like just the acknowledgement that you did a hard thing is a really brilliant and wonderful experience so yay yay well this week we are wrapping up the book but first we're going to discuss chapters 44 through 47 which we read through the theme of satisfaction um do you have a story for us jen i do so recently i became a new zealand citizen which is very exciting it was a very protracted experience because i applied in 2020 and it took months to even be assigned a case manager just because there was various backlogs obviously with covid there was a lot of concern around borders and i think an influx of people trying to suddenly change their um, immigration status so they were inundated with requests and it took a very long time and i had shout out to jordan from christchurch who was my case manager and forever (laughs) emailing me about nonsense that i would go back and say this is nonsense but that's fine because it transpires that not a lot of people go from an australian citizen to a new zealand citizen is quite unusual and they were a bit confused as to why i was doing it but that was fine the other way around new zealand to australia all the time because new zealand residents in australia do not have the same rights as australian residents whereas australian residents in new zealand you're basically already a new zealand citizen you have exactly the same Mm. rights as a new zealand citizen you're a permanent resident so there wasn't that much benefit really but i needed it for work and also I love New Zealand so it felt like the right thing to do. So anyway, got my citizenship certificate in the mail. There wasn't a party or like there wasn't a ceremony rather because of COVID. So they were like, once you get it in the mail, that's it. You're official, which is very anticlimactic. Oh, 
I was umming and eyeing about doing something, but then I spoke to Meredith and she's like, well, you should do a party. So I did. And I had all the usual angst that you have when you organize a party with different friends. It was the same with my 30th mm. birthday. You know, you have different groups of friends and when you put them together, it's stressful. It's stressful. You don't know how they're going to get along. You're stressed because you have to like circulate between these groups. You don't really get to like have a good chat with anyone. You're always just like dipping in and out, making sure everyone's okay. Yeah. You know, like that host anxiety that you get. And of course, the anxiety beforehand where you're like, no one's going to turn up because of course but it was great and loads of people came and it was really lovely and there was a moment where I was just looking around this group of people I had three separate groups like my three separate workplaces in New Zealand very much was sticking to themselves it was quite funny because two groups are incredibly introverted and then one group is extremely extroverted and was just all over the place being really loud and I'm like yeah this tracks and I love this and I looked around and I just felt so like loved by the fact that these people were here purely for me they they were there because I'd asked them. They were in my life because they decided that they were going to take a punt on this weird little Australian and they were going to really like embrace me, especially my my rugby whānau. You know, like they're incredible. They were great to me all along. And then at the end of the night, they were the ones who were still there. So everyone had left. The party started, I think, at 3.30. This was nine o'clock. They were doing last call. I had this big group of people from rugby still with me. Meredith said it was like all the drunk aunts and aunties at a wedding who just like refused to leave. Aww. So they were all there. <laughs> And I just felt incredibly satisfied with my life. Like looking around at these people, looking around at this event that I've had with the different people that I've met, different parts of my life, different stages of my life. Like I changed a lot from the person who'd moved here and first befriended these rugby people. Like we're talking about eight years. You know, I've changed a lot in that time. Mm -hmm. And I still had these people who were just in my corner and would always be in my corner. Like I could always count on them. And to know that I had made this life for myself, no one else had done it. I didn't have anyone else when I first moved here. I didn't know anyone. This is a, a life that I have carved for myself completely on my own. And I just love that. And I love living here. And I was planning a holiday one of my friends is coming to visit next year and I was talking to Meredith about it and I was Googling places to go and I was like, man, I just love this country. This country is so beautiful. And she said to me, and it's all yours now. And I just honestly mm. felt so content with that. And I love that. I just love that sense of satisfaction that you can find in your everyday existence. Like, that's a beautiful thing. I love that so much. And it is all yours. You're a hobbit now. Classic. And it is because of Lord of the Rings that I moved here in the first place. So here we go. Rock and roll. I feel like if you're called to go somewhere and do something, even for a silly reason, like, why not see it through? Why not take that leap? It's interesting because I wasn't, I don't remember being scared to move to New Zealand. I think because this is the, one, two, the third country I've moved to. I was just like, oh yeah, just moving countries, whatever, you'll figure it out. And I, I thought that was really interesting about the section that we read in because there's a moment where Anna also has this realisation that she's already done a hard thing. She's already moved to a new city, so therefore she can yeah. do it again. And I think that's really important. I, I also agree that there was so much about Anna just kind of being like, oh, I've already done the hard thing. Yeah. Like how much yeah. harder is it going to be next year? Yeah. Because once you've done it once, and I think, and you would know as well, like moving mm. countries is a difficult thing. Upping yeah. life, going somewhere you've never been before where you don't have connections, it's a difficult thing to do and it's incredibly challenging to find your feet again, which we saw Anna struggle to do this entire book, right? And so when you yeah. do and you know that you can get through it, the next time is not so hard. Shall I read the chapter summaries? Yeah, yes, please. Anna and Sinclair are friends again, but she feels like they missed their chance. After catching a film, she finds Sinclair waiting for his dad um, <laughs> and inadvertently eavesdrops on an awful argument. Lucky thing she's there, though, because she finds the perfect solution for Sinclair. She decides to pay a final visit to Notre Dame. Sinclair follows her all the way up to the top, and finally, finally, they come to a perfect understanding. I felt like this book ended in a very satisfying way. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, I agree. It's a very satisfying conclusion to the romance, right? Like, it's, yeah. it was good. You felt like, okay, I feel like that's resolved well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had so many objections to Sinclair last week, but I feel like the explanation that made me feel the most satisfied was when he said, all I could think of was how hurt you were at Christmas when that thing with Toph happened and he never explained or apologized. He just mm. pretended it didn't happen. And I couldn't let, I couldn't do that to Meredith and I couldn't do that to Ellie. Mm. And I was like, that's actually really lovely. I mean, yes, please stop and tell the girl you've just spent pashing that you are going to go and do this. But like, I love that that was his reasoning for it was that he just thought, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to hurt these people the way that, that Anna has been hurt. Mm. Really nice. I'm okay with that as an explanation. Yeah, I did think there was a little bit of um, him trying to shift the blame. I think they're both very good at this. They feel like they try to shift the blame for things onto other people so they don't have to take ownership. Like when Anna says, 
I've blamed so many things on like Sinclair's failure to communicate. I've blamed all our problems on that. I'm like, I don't think that was a thing until last section when you decided he doesn't communicate with you. Up until then, I don't think you ever felt like he didn't tell you anything. But he never did. He did a lot of like really sideways things like here's a book of love poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's that bit where on page 360 he says, you know, but if you had, I wouldn't have wasted all these months. I thought you were turning me down. I thought you weren't interested. So he's putting this idea that the reason I didn't act on it is because you said you didn't remember that I confessed to you. And I'm like, this is not Anna's. Don't put this on Anna. This is not her thing. Like, this is you trying to absolve yourself from any blame. Because again, it's like a roundabout way of doing something. Oh yeah. I feel like that's the biggest and most useful part of this whole section was that circular argument they have where they keep going around and around and around. Yeah. Not able to say, like, he's like, why didn't you say something? And she's like, how would I know to say something if you didn't say something? And like, the ball was both in both of their courts, but also neither of them really could say anything. I feel like their reasons for not saying something were good but also it would have cost you maybe a little bit of discomfort to say I have a crush on you oh my gosh I have a crush on you too yeah I think that's the real sign of youth right this circular Mm -hmm. argument this fact that they're just both a bit silly (laughs) so I'm glad they saw it in each other um I thought this was a very satisfying character arc on page 346 Anna has come out of the cinema. She's like, oh, St. Clair's waiting for me. And then she's like, oh, wait, he wasn't waiting for me at all. He's talking to his dad. Oh, my gosh. And then she's like, I feel so shamed. I did it again. Everything is not always about me. And I was like, yes, we have achieved it. We are aware. We have growth. We have realized the thing is happening. Absolutely. So good. So good. (laughs) I actually underlined it twice because I was like, Jen's going to love this. I did. (laughs) I wrote in the margins, growth! Exclamation mark. Main character syndrome resolved. So good. Oh, I just love that everything leading up to that realization, though, was just like, I see him. He knows she's my favorite director. He's come here thinking that I would be here. And I float across the boulevard towards him. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You are unhinged. Bless her. She's very dramatic, isn't she? She loves the drama. Yeah. I wondered if there was satisfaction for her in knowing that she understood French. Like, it doesn't really come across in that section because she's so horrified by what she's hearing. But she Mm. is following this conversation in French, and this is something that she's learned in the last nine months. Like, that, you have to be satisfied with that. I would be extremely pleased with myself, so I I imagine she was pleased too. I mean, she does say holy crap, and you're right, it's too quick behind, like, being found out to be eavesdropping. She doesn't really get the chance to be like, I understood everything, but she did, and yeah, that is very satisfying. Oh, to be... She was so worried about being stuck in this country where she didn't speak the language. And now she can. She can understand it, which is most of it, right? I love when she was like, it was an accident when Sinclair says, have you been eavesdropping? It wasn't an accident. You didn't accidentally eavesdrop. You decided to stay there. You could have left. This is true. Oh my goodness. I would have totally stayed as well, though. Oh, yeah. I'm a curious person. (laughs) I'm nosy AF. I would have been there for sure. Hey, you there behind the bushes. Like... Oh yeah, I, lo- I love when you go to a cafe and two people are like really hashing something out and I'm just like, I'm going to put my headphones in but turn nothing on and just write down what they're saying because it's this good is, dialogue yeah, practice. It's something we employ a lot at work, the, my group of friends, where we're like, we have headphones in but no music playing because you're like, well, I'm just going to see if I can pick up some clues by what conversation is happening <laughs> here. Um, I also thought there was a really great moment when she realized she had this, what was a page 344, she went through this whole like stream of consciousness about, it's okay if Sinclair and I never become more than friends. His friendship alone has strengthened me in a way that no one else has ever has. Mm. I love that she was able to acknowledge that and also acknowledge right in the same thing, you know, I don't want to lose it, which I thought was really good. Yeah, there's an interesting bit about that because I wonder if she doesn't give him too much power over her. Like she says in that section, he swept me from my room and showed me independence. In other words, he was exactly what I needed and I just wonder does she think she wouldn't have done those things without him does she think she never would have left her room if it wasn't for Sinclair and do we think that I don't think that she never would have left her room but I feel like someone else would have done it like Meredith would have gotten her out or Rashmi would have or Josh would have or like I feel like somebody else in the friend group would have been like come on we're gonna go do something what does he like to do movies all right let's go to the movies somebody would have I mean Meredith 100% would have eventually but yeah I, I do think she's giving him a bit too much power but there's also some special about the first person who shows you how to do something different or like you when you have a buddy who does something that's like a big deal like you kind of 
it's like, oh, they showed me and I really appreciate that. I think there's something really interesting happening in the distinction between exactly what I needed. Like I've mentioned mm-hmm. it before, I think in episode three, that there's she makes this distinction between need and want. And I saw it a lot in this final section. She yeah. talks about lost in translation, right? So I thought that parallel was interesting because I don't think the main takeaway from that film is exactly what she took away, which is that being ex- you're finding someone who's exactly what the other person needs. I don't think that's what Lost in Translation is about. I think Lost in Translation is about the intimacy of human connection. Heightened loneliness, that means that you're finding someone who understands you or wants to understand you is where you find connection. It's not about being what someone needs. I think there's a difference between understanding and need and understanding and and need and want. Um, Yeah, because it makes it seem like there's a perfect puzzle piece for another puzzle piece whereas it's more like being willing to grow together especially in the case of lost in translation yeah and she also says she makes that distinction again page three four five she says my stripe hasn't been retouched since my mother bleached it at christmas another thing i need to learn how to do myself another thing i want to learn how to do myself and then sinclair on page 363 talks about how he thinks he's like his mother and he says but i don't want to be like her i don't want to be like that anymore i want what i want so yeah. i think this book is, a, is saying something interesting about you need to differentiate between need and want. Those are not the same things. It's not enough to just like try and be something that you think someone else needs. You need to act on what you actually want because they come from different places. Yeah, 100%. I picked up on so many of the needs and wants and I actually had on page 345 the same thing about her and her stripe as well where she was like, it's, it's something I need to learn, but I want to learn how to do yeah. it. And I thought that was really good that she was sort of uncoupling that. And and it was almost my in-depth marginalia actually because I, I feel like a lot of what I went through as a young adult, like learning to live on my own was like, oh, I need to be responsible. I need to do this and I need to do that. And it was like, it was always framed as something I was failing at because I didn't know how maybe to do all of those things I needed to do. And a lot of it was like need, like I needed to understand the mechanism for paying rent on time and I needed to understand how to get a checking account stuff like that like you actually do have a lot of things you have to do as an adult you know there's just not a lot of structures in place unless you have very good parents with a lot of time to teach you that Mm. so I do feel like it's really tricky when you're younger everything feels like a need when you're younger but wanting to learn to do something like like that seems to me like a sign of maturity like oh I want to learn to do this I agree I think it's definitely growth and I think it's underscored by the quote she chooses to highlight from Lost in Translation which Mm. on 344 is the more you know who you are and what you want the less you let things upset you which I think is so crucial to knowing how to to fulfill your own needs how to like if you know what you want then you can be a happier person in yourself which I think is different to being happy in general but if you're happy in yourself it comes from recognizing your own wants and needs and emotions right absolutely Mm. I was so proud of her for getting past the need 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 Mm. Because I think when you're in a relationship with someone, you should definitely want to have them there. You should want to be sharing your life with them. You should want them to be part of it. But needing someone can get a bit tricky. So even in the parallel with Sinclair discussing his father and his mother, like they need his dad. They need his dad in order to survive. And so there's a lot of tension between those two things. Like he's an abhorrent person, but they depend on him financially. Like their well-being is dependent upon this person. They need him. And it's Mm. not fun. So wanting someone and being able to go after what you want, for Sinclair at least, is a big deal. And Anna's kind of coming to the same conclusions too. Yeah. I thought that there was a great satisfaction in the way that she was coming to terms with her terrible dad. Mm. Like she has decided to read his intentions for sending her to Paris generously, which I think is something that comes with maturity. Yeah. Um, She's like, I think he knew it would be good for me. And I don't agree. I don't think the text actually supports that. But I think that it's lovely that Anna has got to that place. I think that stems from her satisfaction of with her life in Paris. Like she has these lovely moments where she's like, once again, Paris leaves me awed. She's like mesmerized by Notre Dame. She is walking around. She's like got a real satisfaction in her Parisian mm. life and where she's gotten to with that. And because she feels secure in that fulfillment, she can be more generous towards her father. Yeah. It's like every parent's dream to have their kid be like, thank you for putting me in the position of having to do the hard thing. Like, oh, you're welcome. I mean, I don't really think her dad paid much attention to her, so I don't think it was that awful for him. But for me, it would be absolutely like nail-bitingly terrible. But I would be very proud of my kids if they went and lived in Paris for a year of high school. Aww. Yeah. 
Is there any satisfaction for Sinclair in like beating his father at his own game, or for Anna in that moment for being right about how to circumvent that situation? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, like I love the way she framed it as beating someone at their own game, because mm. that's absolutely what it is. It's like flipping the script on the manipulator and making it to where you can actually win. I think that must be very satisfying. I mean, it's very much a teen fantasy to be able to like get one over on your parents, right? Mm. It's definitely like beating the system before the system beats you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good idea, though. And I love that she even says, I wouldn't trade places with you for a second. (laughs) But Mm. because he's the kind of person who believes in keeping up appearances, it will work. Yeah. Very clever. But it's quite a Slytherin move, actually. Yeah, it's very very good. I love that. It's kind of like what I was doing when we were buying the house. And my co-owner messaged me being like, this is really dodgy. And I'm like, no, we're just gaming the system. This is how we do it. Like, the system (laughs) is not in our favor. Like, I'm sorry, these systems are not set up to help anyone. So you either play the system or you get played. So which one do you want to be? Oh, man. Look, for all of my husband being an absolute Hufflepuff, like 98% of the time, the 2% of him that is definitely a Slytherin came out when we bought our house and he was like (laughs) ruthless about the negotiations. Only he was at work and I had to do the negotiating. So he was texting me what to say. And I, a true little Hufflepuff, had to be so mean about it. It was so stressful. But we did. We got exactly where he wanted money wise and it's just like I don't ever want to do that again I feel like a horrible person but it was effective gotta game the system hey I don't think that Sinclair admitting that he liked Anna more than Ellie brought Anna the satisfaction that she thought it would like it doesn't really come across in that section that she feels vindicated or satisfied by that confession yeah and and the reason is because he was still with Ellie like he didn't end it when he should have I feel like if you meet someone and you fall in love with them and you don't break up with your existing girlfriend who you have fallen out of love with them that is not a character strength I'm willing to say that because of St. Clair's entire like monologue and his self-revelations and the few weeks that they've spent just kind of fidgeting but not actually getting together, he's had some time to really think about the kind of person he wants to become. So I'm willing to say, yes, he's going to focus on being a better person, making mm-hmm. better decisions, really going for what he wants and actually being decisive about stuff. I don't think that he was there before that. I think that it took all of this upset to get him there. But I think that Anna kind of knew he was wishy-washy. Mm. And she loved him anyway. Like that was never in doubt. But, you know, all of her points stood especially when she was like you were with Ellie and he's like but I loved you and she's like but you were with Ellie like she's right she's absolutely right it wasn't fair and it's not a good argument you know no and I do wonder you know you can see that Sinclair could easily become his father like Anna draws all these parallels between them you know he's got got the same smile they're charming Sinclair we know previously has been described as like charming everyone in the school everyone wants to be his friend blah 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 so he could very easily go down that route where he is just manipulating people through charm alone right it's whether he decides not to be like that yeah and I think think actively works against it so one of the problems that a lot of people face when they leave a coercive controlling parent is they either have to fight against it or they become it like I mean everybody either becomes or rebels against what their parents are that's just kind of like the template for human existence but it's a lot harder when you have someone who's completely controlled or like been involved in every aspect of your life in a way that leaves you feeling like you don't have control so you try to get control as much as you can and that can be disastrous i think there's a definite red flag for both of them that they need to work on if this relationship is to last and that's the fact that they both have rejection issues absolutely so you know he talks to her on page 362 and he says every time you say sinclair it's like you're rejecting me again and he says I have never rejected you, but you have, and for days. And she's like, and you rejected me for Ellie. And we've spoken about this before, that she sees rejection where she's not actually being rejected. And Sinclair mm-hmm. clearly does. But the more worrying thing is page 367 when he says, promise me you won't flee once I introduce you to my father, or worse, leave me for him. I yeah. think that this is a legit concern for him. And I think yeah. this could probably very easily happen based on the behavior we've seen from his father. So this insecurity is a concern. Yeah, yeah, it's a real fear of his. I had not actually, like that had not stood out to me in any other reading of this book, but I was like, what? (laughs) Like, because it's in the context of this whole discussion where Anna's like, oh, wait till you meet my dad. Please don't run screaming like he's awful. And, you know, Sinclair's like, oh, no, but seriously, my dad, like, please don't leave me once you meet him or worse, leave me for him. And I was just like, what? Like, that came out Mm. of nowhere. It's very shocking. But I think he really is afraid of that because his dad is such a womanizer. Yeah, and charming as well. Like, people Mm. fall for it. That's the worst thing. So you could easily be convinced, I think. And I think that's also why he's probably... 
he's so afraid of leaving Ellie before he knows that Anna is 100% committed because he can't risk that rejection because he just has all this innate worthlessness fears going on and there's just a lot. They, he needs to go to therapy <laughs> immediately. So bad. yeah, yeah. Well, and also, like, how terrible of him to, like, he sets this, he set, he has this distinction, which I think is a very immature argument, to be honest. Uh, oh, I never cheated on her for real, but I was cheating on her every day in my mind. And I'm like, well, that's still cheating. Like, an emotional affair is still an affair. That's just how it is. And Yeah, it's not just the physicality of it. And he's still making choices that center Anna rather than Ellie. And he's not putting his relationship in the forefront. Like, there's so much going on here that he really needed to, like, acknowledge and just end it before he started another one. Because these things do happen. You do meet people. You fall out of love. You fall in love. Like, I can understand that the world is very complicated and everything is grayscale and there is a lot of nuance. But this was just really badly handled. And I think he didn't want to be the womanizer and so he drew this false line, but it actually didn't matter. Like, the line, he still crossed it. Mm. It's interesting also that he says, you know, Anna, I promise that I will never leave you. I just think, mm, like, my guy, that is such an immature thing for you to say. Well, maybe they are together for five or six years and then they break up mutually. That does yeah, happen. I, mm, yeah, it does happen. <laughs> I just... I will say that I often struggle in YA literature when people are like, and, you know you're my true love and I'll never leave you. I'm like, you are 16 years old. Can we not yeah, make these yeah, brand yeah, proclamations? Yeah. The only exception to that rule is Simon and Baz because I'm like, yeah, no, this is obviously <laughs> fated and I'm into it. But normally I'm like, uh, come on. I feel like when it's a het relationship, I'm just like, you could do better to like always to the girl. Um, but then when it's a queer relationship, I'm like, I love it. They get to be high school sweethearts. And we just don't get that in queer fiction. So that, that's why I feel like I've, I'm a little more forgiving of it when it's queer fiction. <laughs> Maybe I'm just more forgiving of it with Simon Baz because Baz is so all in. Like he is so, it's the same with Ronan and Adam, right? Like Ronan is so all or nothing that I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. once he's made a decision, sure, of course, of course. But when it's like yeah. someone like Sinclair, who is a bit wishy-washy, I'm like, ah, yeah. come on, buddy. <laughs> Let's not make promises we, yeah. we can't keep. Not two weeks in. Yeah. No, for real. I do think that they show up in Lola and the Boy Next Door. And they're very cute. She's working in a cinema and he's working as an usher. And Lola also works there. And they all hang out sometimes. And it's very cute. So you do get to see them actually being like an established couple. It was like a fly on the wall type thing. Like, oh, look at them. They're just like... You know, and like Anna's like the cool older coworker for Lola, which is really adorable. <laughs> so, like I have extra context, which isn't, you know, it's not part of this, but it's very cute. It's very cute. But yeah, I think if Sinclair hadn't gone to California, if he hadn't managed to swing that, then they definitely wouldn't have a chance. Like there would just be, he would be the one that got away and she would be the one that got away. Interesting that you say that because then we got Rashmi and Josh, right? And I think it's so fascinating that they waited to, for, for the end of the year to break up. I think they've always, both of them, wanted to break up ages and ages ago, but they didn't because it was less risky doing it at the end of the year than earlier. Yeah. Because, you know, what if they potentially fractured the friend group? But in a way, I think it might have been better for them to break up, fracture the friend group, because then Josh would have made new friends instead of him yeah. now having to make new friends next year when his his friends have left like if that friend if there was more of a schism in the friendship group because they broke up that would have probably been better yeah but josh is i like I, anna says something about him being an attractive funny guy and i'm like he doesn't talk to anybody he does not talk to anybody he is not putting himself out there no like, his friends like him and he likes them back but he's not like out there trying she loves thinking so... all her friends are attractive bless her i'm like she's <laughs> no, so she... vain anna She's like the biggest hype person, and I'm like, I don't think you really see your friends, but that's okay. I love that you love them. <laughs> this is like me when I recommend stuff to people. I'm like, oh, it's the best. You're gonna love it. And it's like that. It's just middling, but like I'm really enthusiastic about everything. I think Anna's the same about her friends. Cute. I want to know what your take is on Sinclair being upset that Anna lied to him. Like what that whole conversation where where they're up there at the top of of the church and they're like he's terrified and he's still like i've got to get all of this out what, what's your take on that i think it's very immature for him to not just have said something at the time but i guess that's just youth um yeah i also think she shouldn't have lied to him i thought that at the time i was like this is dumb but whatever <laughs> um yeah i don't know i think his hurt is justified because mm. 
it's built up for so long because it's been so many months. It's just built into a whole thing. Yeah. But it happened before Thanksgiving, right? So I'm kind of like, why didn't you talk yeah. about it then? You got so close in that moment. That would have been the time to talk about it. Yes, it would have been. You're absolutely right. And she even, like, she's brought that up. Like, you know, you slept in my bed with me and you still went back to her. Like, there was always this other person that you were involved with. I mean, she's absolutely right to be like, why would I say anything? You had a girlfriend. I was trying to save you the embarrassment and me the hurt of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. She's very embarrassment conscious. Like, she's very keyed up to when she's being awkward, when, like, she, she's like, she's got a cringeometer. Yeah, she's just she, anxious, right? That just comes with the anxiety. Yeah, she clocks when he's embarrassed, but not angry with her that, you know, she's happened upon this conversation I did, with yeah. his dad. I do think that she read that wrong because you know when she gets to the top of the stage she's like and he's apparently angry with me. I'm like I don't think he's angry with you. I don't read that as anger. I think he was terrified of the stairs and just also like exasperated. Exasperated? That's the word. Yeah like I don't think he was angry at her in that moment. (laughs) He's like whatever the equivalent of hangry is but like petrified and angry. Fearful and angry? Fangry? Something. I love that he was willing to, you know, he thinks he misreads her reaction. So he's yeah. like, oh, you know, I won't bother you again. You, you can go down first and I'll come down later. Knowing full well that he cannot make her down these stairs by himself. But he's still willing to do that because he doesn't want to you know, make her feel worse. That's actually very generous. Yeah, I think that was a good, that was, that, I, I, I remain convinced that he actually does love her because of these things. He's just really bad at humaning up to this point. Yeah, he's still young. Yeah. And learning. I mean, he's definitely learning and definitely copying to his mistakes. Like, it was a mistake and I did do that and I should not have done that. And I wish we had communicated better. Like, that entire conversation just boils down to we needed to have communicated better. Yeah, and he says, you know, I didn't want to hurt you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I think that he says the right things. Like... Not perfectly, because he's still learning and growing, but I think he's on the journey. And I think Anna as well, you know, we've seen some good growth from both of them, and that's really encouraging. That's what makes you believe that actually this relationship might have a chance, because they aren't the same people they were at the start of this. Yeah, they've grown together and gotten through some really horrifically difficult stuff, emotional difficult stuff. Mm. And to come out on the other side of that, willing to be vulnerable and trust each other and try, that's huge. I'm proud of them for the... Like, for the attempt, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I do think that the ending is very satisfying, though, and I'm quite happy with it. It's very sweet. It is. That they they find each other to be home. That's always how I felt about my partner. I, I li- like I like doing my own thing, and I like having my own little interests and stuff, but at the end of the day, he's the person that I want to lie in bed next to and scroll my phone with. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I want. He's the one that I like having around the most so yeah. I feel like it's nice when you get to see that in in fiction and it's nice when you get to see that in in any sort of situation platonic or romantic I really love that when you just find the person that you just like hanging out with the best it's beautiful it's my favorite give me all of the like buddy system buddies for life Aww, that's lovely <laughs> um did you have any more for youth or satisfaction no I think that's all of mine Mm, all right should we move on to tangential not sure that i've got very much i think i talked about all of it yeah i think the only other thing i had was just her outrage about the stairs because that made me laugh that is the most french thing ever the freaking stairs like i just remember staying in this hostel both the one i stayed in in paris which didn't i was on the i think we were on the fourth floor and there was of course just a winding circular staircase and nothing Mm. else and then we were staying at a place in montpellier and again i think we were on the fifth floor of this decrepit old building that again had no lift and i'm like why do the french not believe in elevators so i really loved that she was like more stairs all caps loved it really here for it <laughs> yes and like i'm not even gonna have stairs leading up to my house <laughs> gradual incline so and funny. then she moves to san francisco <laughs> it's like oh on there's a lot of inclines there and a lot of stairs and also um, the other thing i actually wanted to ask you about is you know that yeah. exchange Etienne and Anna have about using Etienne or Sinclair yeah. and he says you know every time you said called me Sinclair it felt like a rejection I think that is so interesting because when you think about it we don't get to choose our nicknames 
or really have much say in how they're used. Often a nickname mm. is something that is bestowed upon you. So maybe Sinclair doesn't want to be called Sinclair. Maybe it reminds him of his father. Maybe he doesn't like it, but he's just put up with it because he's like, mm, whatever. Maybe he wants to be Etienne and like the fact that Anna is the first person to ever really call him that is something that really appeals to him, which is why he is like, you don't call me that anymore. And he, it's a real sticking point for him. I think the way I read it is that he liked that being, I, I think the way that I read that was that it was like his private name. Like he wanted to be known, the people he wants to know him, he wants to call him Etienne. So like, I think if his mum called him Etienne, it would be fine. Um, and like Anna called, like it's like a family intimate closeness thing mm. whereas Sinclair is like his public persona it's like the one that he can like yeah he's Sinclair to everyone but he's Etienne to Anna because they've got that intimacy that relationship that friendship that's how I viewed it it's like how you can like have friends for a while but then it's like when you don't clean your house and they come over or when you're like oh screw it they're coming over but I'm just gonna put a jumper on and not put a bra on because like mm. they've seen me it's fine that's the sort of thing that that is for me it's like that extra like yeah they've seen me throwing up they know what it's about like I don't know how else to explain it. It's just a, it's a bit just closer. But mm. I love a nickname. And I love it when people um, give me cute nicknames. And I love having a cute nickname. And I love giving other people cute nicknames. I mean, my kids have like a dozen different adorable nicknames <laughs> between them. So, yeah. Cute. It is cute. I do think that it's their thing, though. Like, it's really their thing. And I love that. It definitely follows the trope of last name, last name, last name, first name. Yeah, know? I know. Yeah. I was sucking for that one. Oh. When you use the first name. Uh, so good. Oh, Usually in a like... enemies to lovers, but we will accept it in a friends to lovers as well. Yes. It's always a good trope in my book. I was just going to say... I want to talk to you about their point zero wishes because Anna says we both got our point zero wishes, each other. But she did not wish for him when she was on point zero. She wished for, what was it? Whatever will make I me want, happiest. I wish for the thing that is best for me. Yeah. So. Hmm. She did wish for him the second time, right? For him to stay the night again. And I think he wished for her every time. But I, I don't know. Do you think, do you think that he is the best thing for her? I think it, if she decides he is, then he is. Yeah, I think it's a decision she has to make. I think what's mm. best for her is actually the journey that she's been on to get to the point where she can think that he is best for her. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Yes. That seems right. I, I think that it's really good that they talked about that. Because she if she's able to say, like, I do think that you're the best thing for me. That's a really lovely way to start. A, like, it, it sort of gives him that confidence. Because, you, you know, you, you were right to say that he's insecure. So I love that maybe they've had this discussion and he's like, I just really wanted to be with you. And she's like, well, I just wanted the best thing for me and now we're together. So I guess we both got our wish. Like, that's a compliment. That's a really lovely thing to say. Mm. So, yeah. She was like thinking about him before and she almost wished for him. She was like, oh, but the, the boy that I want has a girlfriend and doesn't need me. So let the fates decide. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I like that it's ambiguous, I think, is where I'm coming down on it. Mm. Oh, good. Good, good. Uh, my favorite thing at the end, I think, was the I do not iron my bedspread. That was hilarious. <laughs> I love what a little fuss pot Anna is. I think that it is hilarious that she is so tidy and she's got such weird ideas about laundry. Adorable. Germaphobe. <laughs> she was right. We can confidently say... What is it? Almost three years into a pandemic, she knew what she was talking about. Um, did you have any other tangential marginalia? No, that was all of mine. Well, what did you have for your in-depth? Okay, so my in-depth is page 363, and it's, I don't want to be like that anymore. I want what I want. So this is that big confession up in Notre Dame. Um, he's talking about, Sinclair is talking about his mum and how he thinks he's like her and Anna saying you're not like her and he's I am because you know but I don't want to be anymore I want to go after what I want I think it relates to our themes because satisfaction and contentment comes from knowing your own mind there's a lot of satisfaction in that and yeah. being confident in knowing what you want and being confident in that you want to go after what you want even if you don't quite know what that is yet and I think you know a sign of youth that you have grown into this realization I think this is a real sign of growth and maturity from mm. Etienne to get to this point. 
Um, it just reminds me of me, which is why I chose it. Like I had a very similar realization and a much, much later than Etienne. I was, you know, what is it? Three years ago in therapy. And I realized that so much of what I do, I do because I think it's expected of me or because other people, I think it'll make other people happy if I behave a certain way. Predominantly my parents, even though my parents have never expressed any opinion that they needed me to be any kind of way. It's something that I have just decided and internalized in myself that if I did not behave in X way, then therefore I am unlovable. This whole kind of internalized nonsense that you pick up. I was a perfectionist, not in the way that it's like, oh, I'm a perfectionist in the way that if I'm not perfect, no one will love me, that sort of thing. Mm. So a lot of what I did wasn't for me. And I did a lot of things. I behaved a lot of ways. I made a lot of decisions based on what I thought other people would want me to do, based on how other people would perceive me. And Mm. it is a self-betrayal. It's not a fulfilling way to live your life. There's always something a little bit missing if you're living your life like that, because you are not doing it for you. And for me, I think the biggest moment of just release that I felt in this journey was when I got my first tattoo, because I... My mum never wanted me to get a tattoo. I always thought society would judge me if I got a tattoo. There's a lot of issues like wrapped up with that. And it's something that I really wanted. And the relief I found when I looked in the mirror and saw it on me and I just felt right. It felt like I had come home in that moment. It was just like honestly mm. the most amazing experience. And it was something that I'd done just for me. It wasn't for anyone else. It wasn't for anything, for no other purpose. It was just for me and it was what I wanted. And it felt so liberating. And I think it's really set me up to do more of that. And I've really felt so much more secure and whole and less anxious in my life ever since I've made that transition. And I've worked on that within myself because mm-hmm. now I trust myself so much more. I don't second guess my decisions. It's just amazingly freeing. I guess going forward, I just want to keep doing that, like checking in, making sure why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Am I doing it for the right reason? Not because I'm worried that I'm, you know, doing it because I'm scared of rejection or not being loved, that I'm doing it because I want to do it. So it's important to continue that work because you can regress and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, well done. I'm so proud of you. And I love your tattoos. They're beautiful. And even if I didn't love them, you love them. And that's what matters. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Thanks. Um, What was your end Uh, Mine was from exactly the same section because obviously brain Mm -hmm. thing. Um, but I focused on a different part of it. So on page 363, he's talking about his mom and he says, as much as I love her, I hate her for it. I don't understand why she won't stand up for herself, why she won't go for what she wants. Now he's talking about his mom and he's even like, and he's talking about the way that they're both really helpless against like his, his father. And he wishes his mom would act even though he lists all these reasons why she can't, like they financially and physically depend on this man for their well-being. So he knows, he knows that she actually Mm. can't really leave him because he has control of all the money. And yet he still kind of holds that against her. He still is hurt by that. And he still resents her for that. To link it to the themes, I'm going to be honest, it's really unsatisfying. I can't spin it. (laughs) I can't spin Mm. it any other way. It's not satisfying. It is really hard when you grow up and you realize that your parents are deeply flawed and they can't get out of situations because when you're a kid, you think that they are able to do all of these things that you can't. But I love that he's being honest about it. And I love that he's kind of admitting it because the sooner you are able to recognize that that tension exists, like I love my mom. I feel like she's a victim. I feel like I'm a victim. We're both victimized by the same person. I feel like she could get out, but she can't. I see why she can't, but I resent her for not being able to. Once you're able to start exploring that tension, you can start to come to terms with it. Um, Mm. And you can maybe start to heal, right? But when you're young, you just don't have that nuance. You don't have the ability to, like, tease that out. You only really start understanding that your parents are people and they're going to fail you when you're a teenager. And then you have to decide what to do with it. Like, do you carry the hurt? Do you let it go? What do you do with it? And I love that he's examining this. Um, I don't know if there's, like, a single text that I could point to. But other than the, like, entire area of study focused on all of the ways that it is difficult for people to leave abusive partnerships. Um, But I think that it would be really good to talk about like coercive control and financial control financial abuse they're both mentioned here and it's really worth reading up about the thing i really want to point out about this book this text is it gives teenagers who've never really understood what this is a chance to think about it and identify it if it's happening so you know like you can if you can name your fear then you can actually do something about it that that's something that's Mm. really helpful so like knowing that your your mom is stuck with your dad even though your dad is like legitimately awful you can make choices in your own life once you're living your own life 
who you want to be and how you want to be. So that's good. And it also gives you a bit of hope, right? And I love Anna's advice. That's all about like, you can break away and live your own life, but you do have to play his game. Like you can't just reject it wholeheartedly. You have to figure out how to do the 4D chess or whatever. Mm. Um, so going forward, I just think it's really important to have grace, even with the, even when the people you love, like disappoint you, like Sinclair's mom disappoints him. Mm. I love that he cares about her and loves her and recognizes that she's vulnerable, but he's got a lot of feelings about it and he's still resentful. Like it's, it's good that he still loves her and he's still trying to understand that. And I really think that the value he's taking from it is being able to forgive her for that, not hold that against her, even if he feels that resentment and then being able to change himself to be the person that he wants to be which I think is good yeah that is good yeah it's a good point to raise that you know it gives people who may not have thought about it before an example of this kind of behavior because yeah you might not know if you don't know you might just think that's how it is yeah absolutely I mean it's a similar thing for kids who they're called um adult children of alcoholics like there's a whole group of people who like grew up in really dysfunctional settings and like they don't have to be shouting screaming stomping abusive alcoholics but like just the fact that alcoholism was there changes the way that you exist in the world Hmm. and so there's a whole bunch of stuff around kids who've grown up like that like as adults how do they deal how do they function what are the supports for them and there's so there's a lot of different areas i've just i haven't really done a lot of research on it but i bet that there's something similar out there for kids who've grown up in situations like Sinclair has and I hope he finds Mm. them it's tough out there really is everyone's just fighting their own battles yeah did you have a character you wanted to spotlight yeah I am gonna spotlight Anna because look at all that growth baby (laughs) look at it and she's so smart and I love that that little Slytherin pops up and she's able to help Sinclair out of a tricky spot and then she's like and that's why we talk to our friends even though she literally spent the entire last section not doing that but she's learned and she's applying her knowledge so I'm very proud of her (laughs) yeah how about you I was also gonna spotlight Anna because yeah growth (laughs) like I'm proud of her I'm proud for her for growing like she has been reluctant to do so up until now so I think you know we need to recognize it when it happens like good for her yay well should we wrap up the book yeah all right um do you have any reflections on the theme of youth i think what i've really appreciated about this is that it's an accurate picture of what it is to be young i think it (laughs) really and also to be young in a new city for the first time to be away from home for the first time and to have conflicted emotions about that not just your situation but about people the people that you meet and about yourself so you know i i also really like that it draws this distinction between wanting and needing which i think is something that is hard to learn and something that you have to learn when you're younger and yeah. but ultimately the key to being happy in yourself is knowing what you want as an individual and nourishing yourself and not doing that because you think you should or because you're being forced to that's a super important lesson and it's so satisfying to see that in a novel with people who are believably young i 100% agree i feel like this book really shows us how hard it is to be a teenager And there's a lot of frustration with the lack of choice that Anna gets in the beginning. Like, she's Mm. very candid about how she is really not happy with being sent away. And and just, like, I love that it really addresses the inability you have as a teenager to deal with stuff. Because it's happening for the first time. You haven't experienced Mm -hmm. that before. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you don't know what you're doing. Of course, you're going to mess up and stumble and say and do the wrong thing. I think this is one of the few books that I love and I continue to return to where the characters feel, like, genuinely teenagers it's painful because i'm old enough now that i'm like just communicate or just say what you're doing or like i'm like yelling at the tv i'm old man yells at cloud here um because i've grown up already but youth was such a good theme for this because it kept rerouting me back to anna being young and i was able to be more generous to her than if we chosen another theme i would have been like the whole time because she is young, I was able to be like, all right, she's a teenager. And I've got to remember she's a teenager. And I love teenagers. So it was good to remind myself that, like, yes, they make mistakes. But she hasn't got to figure it out yet. That's normal. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I know it's really hard to choose a favorite, but we should do it anyway. Did you have a best marginalia from the whole book? I picked the one on page 103 where she goes to the cinema for the first time. And she's sitting there going, the seats are the same. The smell is the same. The screen is the same. For the first time in Paris, I feel at home. And it's a bit like Katie from Mean Girls, how like math's the same in every language, which we disagree with. But like, I love that this is her thing that she is going to be able to find wherever she goes and love wherever she goes. I love that she has something that is just her touchstone. That just made me really happy. 
Um, how about you? What was your favorite marginally from the whole book? So I've actually decided to choose page 84 when she goes to, or 85, I guess, when she goes to point zero for the first time and she gets to make mm. her first wish. And, you know, she says mm. she has this thing where she doesn't know what she wants to wish for. Does it someone she's not sure she wants, someone she's not sure she needs, someone I know I can't have. And then she says, let the fates decide. I wish for the thing that is best for me. I just think that is so important that often that the thing that is best for us is maybe not the thing that we need or that we want. That what can yeah. be best for you is something else entirely. And I really think that is a very important thing to remember to wish for the thing that is best for you. When you don't know what decision is right, just trust that it's going to be what you need and what's going to be good for you and what is best for you. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. I think it's a great sentiment. That is a great one. It's an excellent one. Um, who do you want to spotlight for the whole book? I'm going to spotlight Meredith because Meredith <laughs> is the MVP. Most valuable player, most valuable friend, just all around nice human. Befriends Anna straight out of the gate. Is really mature about this whole schmozzle at the end. Just love her. Mm. Great. Great, great, great. How about um, you? Same. It's <laughs> Meredith. Meredith wins. She's the best character in the book like I just want to find out what she does in Rome I want her to fall in love or not I don't care I just want to know what Meredith's up to because she's an amazing person and she's such a good friend to a bunch of like really crappy self-absorbed people honestly yeah um, they're not there for her they're not <laughs> no and she is so generous with her time and her love and she just deserves the world so Meredith for the win yay love that um, great. Well, that's it for season seven. So thank you for reading and listening along with us as we tackled Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie mm. Perkins. It was great. That's great. We are going to be back next week with a very spooky one shot. We are going to watch Twilight and we are going to watch it in time with the DVD. So you can start watching it and then, or I guess stream it if you're not old like us. And it will be like director's commentary, but it will just be a marginalia of the whole entire thing so it will be unedited and very interesting for us yeah <laughs> so we don't know how this is gonna us. go but yeah. we're gonna try it's it gonna be fun might be a disaster but it should be fun yeah mm. and we'll be together when we do it so i know it's gonna be so exciting extra joy <laughs> and then for our next full season season eight can you believe we're reading the dream please by maggie stevada and through the theme of connection which you know we're going back to henrietta and i cannot wait I can't wait either. I am so excited. It's going to be summer. It's going to be sultry. It's going to be dreams and dragons and dangerous boys and white sunglasses. And I am here for all of it. Yay. Thank you so much for reading Anne and the French Kiss, Jen. I really enjoyed going through this book with you. Thank you. No, thank you. It's always so interesting to see what we can get out of a text. Always very mm -hmm. valuable. So yeah, another Bye. season. All right. Well, I will see you in person very soon. Yay, exciting. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.